This is Queen Victoria. Welcome to Murder Lab, the podcast where I dissect serial killers and analyze what I find. I gave Igor a couple weeks off for a little vacation for work well done. So instead of an Igor episode this week, you get the queen again. And it is what I consider the Hello Queen episode. <laughs> it's just a casual thing. I thought it would be fun to just go through movies that may or may not be about serial killers. Most of them are about serial killers because I do like to stay in the theme as much as possible. And since it's Halloween, I figure the Hallowed Queen should give you some suggestions of what to watch or things that I like to watch or to talk about maybe movies you haven't seen or ones that maybe you have seen that we should all just talk about again. What I did is I decided to look through the DVD collection in my home and, and see what serial killer movies I have. And the key is not necessarily based on real serial. Because later on, Igor and I will be talking about serial killer movies that are based on real serial killers. So I didn't include those. I included just fict fictitious serial killers. I picked out a, a few. And of course, I'm not counting things like uh, Friday the 13th and Freddy and things like that. Because those are all, we all know about those. For example, the first one I'd like to discuss is The Bone Collector. It is from 1999. It's rated R, is an hour and 58 minutes, and I am reading from the IMDb page. The quick synopsis on IMDb is a quadriplegic ex-homicide detective and his partner try to track down a serial killer who is terrorizing New York City. It stars Denzel Washington, Angelina Jolie, and... Queen Latifah. Michael Rooker actually uh, makes an appearance appearance in it. There's uh, there you'll notice some other familiar faces like Ed O'Neill, Leland Orser, other people. This is one of those movies that I saw probably about the time it came out and it kind of stuck in the back of my brain and made me scared of cab drivers. So <laughs> it's one of those things where I thought about it just like within the last year or so and I decided to buy it because I hadn't seen it for a while and I found it for a good price. Probably at GameSwap because that's where I find most of my movies at a good price that are older. I mean, sometimes you find newer things at a good price too. So. If you have not seen it, I recommend it. I think it's a pretty intriguing movie and it, it takes you along with it. Having the vulnerability of this uh, quadriplegic guy <laughs> that's going after a serial killer, it's, uh, it, it definitely adds to the tension and, and I would recommend it. If you've seen it, then see it again if you haven't seen it in a while. Apparently you can watch it on Prime Video. You can rent or buy it starting at $3.99. I'm not sure it's on any other streaming channels again. I said I, I have this on DVD. Another one is Frailty. This is one that really uh, kind of fucks with your head a little bit. And well, some, some IMDb facts. It's from 2001, rated R, and it's an hour and 40 minutes. A mysterious man arrives at the offices of an FBI agent and recounts his childhood. How his religious fanatic father received visions telling him to destroy people who were in fact demons. Bill Paxton was a director. I actually didn't realize that until just now. And he's actually in it. So it's Bill Paxton, Matthew McConaughey, Powers Booth, Matt O'Leary. Those are some of the main people in it. And it is a doozy. So I, if you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. It is interesting. And I think it's, it's well done. And it has a twist. What's a twist? Apparently, I think you can watch it on Prime and it might be free right now, according to IMDb. Again, I own it, so don't know. But find it if you haven't watched it. And again, if you haven't watched it for a while, watch it again. Next up, 
So this is one that when I think of Bone Collector and Frailty, I think of Copycat. Because it's another one from like the 90s that stuck in my brain. Copycat is from 1995. It's rated R and is two hours and three minutes. So it's, it's a little bit on the longer side. It's about an agoraphobic psychologist and a female detective must work together to take down a serial killer who copies serial killers from the past. It is starring Sigourney Weaver, Holly Hunter, Dermot Mulroney, William McNamara, Harry Connick Jr. Will Patton makes an appearance. There's a... So there's a bunch of names in this one. And I remember really liking it. I haven't seen it in years. It's one that I keep... I'm trying to keep my eye out for to buy. I remember being affected by the movie and, and enjoying uh, enjoying the performances. And again, then you have like the agoraphobic psychologist... So you have somebody who's afraid to go outside searching for a serial killer. And I want to watch it again because I don't remember what serial killers he copied. And it would be particularly interesting to me now because when I first watched it in 1995, I would have been like 15. And I wasn't really into serial killers then. Whereas I am now. So it might be interesting to see what serial killers he copies and if how accurate that is. So that is something I will I will be watching again and I recommend watching it if you haven't. Uh, apparently you can watch it on Prime Video, rent or buy from $3.99. Now, this is one of those movies that I'm about to talk about. I had not heard of it. Todd the Fox told me about it. We found it, and I fucking love it. It is so underrated. I haven't really met a whole lot of other people that have seen it, but the people who have seen it, they know how good it is. It is Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It's from 2006, rated R, and now we're in 32 minutes. The next great psycho horror slasher has given a documentary crew exclusive access to his life as he plans his reign of terror over the sleepy town of Glen Echo. It's basically this, uh, there's a documentary crew as a dude's claiming that he's a serial killer. And there's this legend of Leslie Vernon that supposedly like died as a kid and he's claiming to be that person and is going around and, and what's brilliant about it is he's actually like giving away secrets. So like, um, I won't, I won't say too much, but (laughs) like one of the scenes is how does it, how do the killers in the movies, if you're running and the killer's walking at a very leisurely pace, you turn around and he's like right behind you. How the fuck does that happen? So he has like interesting takes on how that actually happens and he's charismatic. So it's just, it's a really interesting, you know, is he full of shit? Is he not full of shit? What's going to happen? And I, and sorry to tell you who, um, there aren't, I don't know if there's a lot of name people in it, except Robert England. You know, I say that and then I'm, I'm looking at these and I'm remembering. So yeah, uh, Scott Wilson. So we know him as, um, oh, the really nice, I think it was a minister on The Walking Dead, the older man. He's uh, adorable. He's in it. Zelda Rubenstein's in it. Who is this house? Is Clea? Kane Hodder makes an appearance. There's um, yeah. There's just there. There are several people in there. The main people I d- didn't know. It's uh, Nathan Basil, B A E S E L, and Angela Gothels, 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 G O E T H A L S. Sorry. <laughs> the point is, it is a fucking good movie. It's underrated. I just, I can't say enough good things about it. It's just really, really good. So if you haven't seen it, you should, you should see it. Uh, apparently, it is available on AMC+. Plus, But I would say just go out and fucking try to buy it. Buy it because it's just really good. Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Another movie, well, this is a movie that I discovered on my own. Where, you know how you scroll through, I, can't, I was probably Netflix at the time. 
you scroll through and you look for movies that look interesting to watch. Now, the cover got my attention because it's just like some dude at the top of the stairs and it's like this dark staircase with him just a little backlit and it just says creep in creepy font. But and I'll tell you the description so you know why I was intrigued. A young videographer answers an online ad for a one-day job in a remote town to record the last messages of a dying man. When he notices the man's odd behavior, he starts to question his intentions. So, I was drawn in. So now the fear is when you have like a young videographer and it seems like it's going to be like um like a found footage type thing. There's, you never know how that's going to turn out. But it is so fucking good. And just to uh, reiterate, it is Creep. 2014, rated R, an hour and 17 minutes. I didn't recognize any of the actors in it. The top cast is Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass. And it's just, I mean, honestly, it is creepy. <laughs> I mean, I've gotten invested emotionally in movies and there aren't many movies that actually like give me chills or scare me usually you know maybe I'm I, I, I get caught up in it but I'm not actually like creeped out I was so fucking weirded out watching this movie and I was home alone and I like I think I had to pause it once or twice because I was like okay this is a lot like oh my god all I gotta say to you is peach fuzz you just you need to watch it it is creepy and there's a moment when he puts on the peach fuzz mask when it's just, he's so brilliant at being so fucking creepy and disarming. It's he's charming. He's weird. And so you get the attraction of, OK, so you kind of get why the guy's going along with it, because the guy, what he once he does something odd, he can reel you back in and make you feel comfortable and, and make you feel again, make you feel like maybe he's harmless. But I think we all know he's not. So it's uh, just to watch how everything develops. And even being like, um, like kind of a found footage type thing, it's, uh, it's really well done. And I cannot speak highly enough about it. It is one of my favorite movies. There's a sequel, and I think the sequel's good too. You, you never know how that's going to work, but he's just so amazing as this character. And in Creep 2, I won't say anything other than there's a woman involved that falls for that same going to film him for whatever. And it, it just, it always gets me involved and you don't know what's going to happen. And that's the, that's the exciting thing about it is you don't know what's going to happen. And you really, it does feel completely off the rails. And you feel like you're part of it. I don't know. So I highly recommend Creep. It is on Netflix, I believe. Catch it there. I own it now. Because again, it has become one of my favorite horror movies. And an honorable mention for serial killers. We've got Steve Buscemi in Con Air. Con Air from 1997. Rated R is an hour and 55 minutes. Newly paroled ex-con and former U.S. Ranger Cameron Poe finds himself trapped in a prisoner transport plane when the passengers seize control. And of course, I am sure you all know, it's got Nicolas Cage in it. John Cusack, John Malkovich, Cole Meany, Ving Rhames, Dave Chappelle, Steve Buscemi, Danny Trejo. I mean, it is loaded with people. It is also loaded with Really bad Nicolas Cage. I mean, the hair, the accent. But I'm a big Nicolas Cage fan. I love him. I love him when he's good. I love him when he's bad. I think he just has a genius of everything's a little bad, but he's so much fun. And I don't know. <laughs> so in this one, it's just the epitome of a just ridiculous movie that's so much fun. 
I ended up buying this because I hadn't seen it for years and I watched it probably streaming and I was like, I forgot how much fun this is and just fucking ridiculous. But the one, the thing, the thing that I remember most about the movie from the first time I watched it was Steve Buscemi and how he's the serial killer and he comes out like in Hannibal, like they have him all caged up like Hannibal and they have an interaction with him where he's playing with a little girl and you're like, holy shit, is he going to kill the little girl? And it's just, uh, Steve Buscemi makes that movie to me is he's the most memorable thing about it. And there's a lot of shit that happens. But I don't know. He's just really good at being... Again, I think that the key is is when you have an engaging serial killer. So you have someone that you're, you're repelled by, but there's something intriguing about them. And he does that. Honorable mention, we've got Steve Buscemi and Con Air. Now, to move on to streaming movies that I, I don't own yet. These are all ones that I just happened upon, for the most part. I'm only doing a few because or else we could be here forever with me talking about horror movies and things like that. So I'm keeping it kind of brief. So the first one that I'd like to mention is Hangman. Hangman is from 2017, rated R, and is an hour and 38 minutes. A homicide detective brings his partner out of retirement to help catch a serial killer whose crimes are based on the children's game Hangman. And it has Al Pacino in it along with Carl Urban and then some other people. But it just surprised me because I had never heard of this movie and it's an Al Pacino movie. So I was intrigued. It was pretty good. I remember, I don't remember lots of details about it, but I do remember while I was watching it being like, huh, I'm kind of surprised I haven't heard of this before. Like it's, it's, it's interesting and, and it does take you for a ride. I would recommend watching Hangman. Uh, apparently it's on HBO Max and that, I imagine that's how I watch it because I do have an HBO Max subscription. Check that out. Then there is The Watcher, which is another movie with someone famous that I had never heard of and was kind of surprised I hadn't heard of it, but, you know, that's how things happen. It's from 2000. It's rated R. It's an hour and 37 minutes. I'm going to read this long-ass description. David Allen Griffin is a cool killer. Time and time again, he chooses a female victim, studies her for weeks till he knows her routine to the smallest detail, makes meticulous preparations using his forensic knowledge to gain entry when she's quite alone, subdues her, and administers a long, torturous death. Joel Campbell got so frustrated by his failure to capture Griffin in Los Angeles that he quit the FBI, moved to Chicago, and remains in psychiatric therapy, unable to function normally. Then he realizes, when opening his mail very late, that a new murder victim is Griffin's and the killer sent him pictures of her. Campbell reports this to the police, but is unwilling to join them in the search, suggesting Griffin is too slick and clever, yet he won't get out of it that easily. And in the movie, it is Keanu Reeves and James Spader. Marissa Tomei is in it. Ernie Hudson. So immediately, of course, you know I had to watch it. It's not fantastic, but... It's entertaining. It's a fun little ride, as I like to say. It does get a little intense, I guess. And it's one that I would definitely want to watch again. And I may make Todd watch. Because, I mean, it's just fun to watch Keanu Reeves and James Spader. And Marissa Tomei is wonderful. Ernie Hudson, I love him too. So there you go. I mean, just based on these people, watch the movie. Looks like it's on HBO Max. Or just find it somewhere. Again, that's The Watcher. Another one that I stumbled upon... This one really took me by surprise, and it just, well, I mean, it just blew my mind. So it is The House That Jack Built, 2018, rated R. It's two hours and 32 minutes, and yes, that is a lot, but it's it's really interesting and engaging, and it feels like, I, I don't remember feeling like, God, how long is this movie? 
there's just a lot that happens and it's intriguing enough that you go along with it. So I don't remember feeling like, oh my God, you know, because usually when movies are that long, there are moments when you can feel like, oh my God. Well, and sometimes in shorter movies, you feel like maybe they could have cut that part out. But it's just amazing. The story follows Jack, a highly intelligent serial killer, over the course of 12 years and depicts the murders that really develop his inner madman. It has Matt Dillon as Jack. Uma Thurman's in it. I don't know. There's other people. The other people aren't as important. I mean, of course, they're important because they're part of the movie. But Matt Dillon is really captivating as Jack. He's, it's, it's a blend of, there's like quirkiness to it where, like he's an OCD serial killer, which is, is the way you want to be. But there are comical moments where, like, for example, he just killed someone and he gets to his car and he's afraid the cops are coming. But then he's like, shit, do I remember a spot of blood on the floor? And he's sitting there like, oh my god, I need to go, I need to go, I need to go. But I can't leave a spot of blood. It's just, there are, there are moments, I guess moments of levity and... Then it's like artistic and there's literally like points where like paintings are replicated and I can't really describe it. It does, it's when it starts going to like the artistic place, there's a part of you that's kind of like, wow, what is, what is happening? But it's, I I don't know, I think it's really well done and it helped make you emotional about it. And it's a really solid, well done movie and it plays through his psychology and just seeing his relationships and the way he reacts to things. It's just really good. So I would definitely say put aside two hours and 32 minutes, maybe three hours in case you want to take potty breaks or smoke breaks or what have you. But give it a watch. Again, that's The House That Jack Built. It is apparently on AMC Plus and you should watch that shit. I happened upon The Final Girls and one of the things that caught my eye, other than it's called The Final Girls, is on the movie poster I recognized one of the main women is on American Horror Story a lot. She's she's one of the witches. She's the one in season one that moves into the house with her family and she falls in love with um, Evan Peters' character. And so she's she caught my attention. And when one of the dudes started talking, I was like, I know that voice. He's on Rick and Morty. He's done Bob's Burgers voices. Love his voice. And so it's fun to see him as like an actor and actually see him and his reactions. And he's really good and he's really fun. But let me tell you, it is uh, The Final Girls 2015. It's PG-13, one hour and 31 minutes. A young woman grieving the loss of her mother, a famous scream queen from the 1980s, finds herself pulled into the world of her mom's most famous movie. Reunited, the women must fight off the film's maniacal killer. So that's a fun premise. You get pulled into a movie that you get pulled into a horror movie that your mom was in. So you get to actually interact with your young mother. It's uh. So it's a fun, interesting, there are a bunch of interesting, fun people in it. So her name is, uh, is it Taisa Farmiga? <laughs> I probably totally butchered that. T-A-I-S-S-A Farmiga. Malin Ackerman is, plays the young mother I know from, she was in Watchmen. She was, um, Silk Spectre. And so, yeah, there you go. She's adorable and I like her. So it was fun to see her in that. Um, there is also Adam Devin? Devine? I'm just terrible at name pronouncing today. Thomas Middleditch is a guy that I was talking about where I love his voice. Um, and there's Aaliyah Shawkat. I think that's Tuesday from, uh, yeah, it's Tuesday from Arrested Development. She's in it. There's, I don't know, there's a bunch of people. And it's just a fun movie. It was fun and funny. And I really, really liked it. 
make sure you check it out. Apparently, it is on Tubi. And if you can stand commercials, I think it would be, it's worth sitting through commercials for this one. I, I thought this one was a lot of fun. And I am going to rewatch it again this week. And you should watch it or rewatch it as well. I had been hearing a lot about Willy's Wonderland. I had seen, well, my initial exposure was people on Facebook, like, what the fuck did I just watch? And that's like their post, that's like all it was, is what the fuck did I just watch? And then I heard people who were saying, oh my God, you need to see it. It's really fun. And again, it's Nicolas Cage. So I started watching it yesterday before our gig. And it is, it's like one of those things. It's just bizarre, but in a good way, I think. You're constantly questioning the main character's motivations. But that's part of what makes it amazing. And, um, oh, sorry, let me tell you a little bit about it, just in case you you don't know. Willy's Wonderland is from 2021. It's voted TV mature, an hour and 28 minutes long. A quiet drifter is tricked into a janitorial job at the now-condemned Willy's Wonderland. The mundane tasks suddenly become an all-out fight for survival against wave after wave of demonic animatronics. Fists fly, kicks land, titans clash, and only one side will make it out alive. And again, of course, it's Nicolas Cage. It has Beth Grant, and I didn't really re- recognize the other actors. A lot of them are um, younger actors, like Emily Tosta, Chris Warner, Kai Cadleck, Kaylee Cowan, Jonathan Mercedes, Carol Hill, a bunch of people. I want to reiterate, it's ridiculous. It is Death to Smoochie meets Child's Play. I get it why some people might not be into it because it is it is over the top. But it if you can just let it go and just roll with it, it is fun. Full disclosure, I didn't get to finish watching it because it was time for the gig. So I didn't get to finish it. And uh, we were watching finishing up watching Elvira's 40th special this morning, which I'll get into here in a minute. So I realized, shit, as I sat down to record this, I never finished watching it. So I will be finishing watching it because I really want to watch it. And I'll probably watch it a couple times because it's, again, it's just fun. And I think they're handling the animatronics and stuff really well. It is on Hulu, Willy's Wonderland. They actually came out with a comic. I haven't seen it yet. My buddy Matt at GameSwap informed me that he has a copy of Willy's Wonderland issue number one. And I hadn't seen the movie at that point, but I'm, I already knew, like, I'm going to have to fucking get this. And now I'm glad I did because now I know what it's all about and I get to see what the comic's all about. I mentioned before comics by Candlelight. It hasn't come out yet because things have been crazy and my anxiety and OCD and depression have been full-blown. So it will be coming out. My goal is to try to come out with it by the end of the month. Some episodes of comics by Candlelight. So I will be reviewing some things like Willy's Wonderland and, and things like that. So look forward to that coming out. That'll come out on YouTube. So that won't be a podcast. That will be a YouTube thing. You can't have a Hello Queen episode without discussing Joe Bob. Or pretty much... I can't have an episode where I talk about movies and things without talking about Joe Bob. <laughs> That's just the thing. So Joe Bob had his Halloween hootenanny. And one of the, mov- the first movie was Angel, which happens to be about a serial killer. And it's not an, a real serial killer. It is from 1983, rated R, an hour and 34 minutes. Molly, a high schooler, secretly earns her living as Angel, a street prostitute whose only family and friends are the ones she works with on the streets. She has to survive against a serial killer who is targeting people of her profession. It has Cliff Gorman, Susan Tyrell, Dick Sean, 
Rory Calhoun, Donna Wilkes, John Deal, and then other people. Now, I didn't expect to, I had never heard of this. I didn't expect to know anybody in it because, you know, you never fucking know. But Susan Tyrell, she was in, um, like, Crybaby. Dick Sean, he was um, the guy who plays uh, Hitler in the musical in The Producers. Rory Calhoun, of course, is from Motel Hell. And John Deal, he's one of those guys that I recognize his face, but I never remember specifically what he's in. But he was apparently in The Client, Castle Rock TV show. I'm looking now because it is kind of bugging me now that I'm sitting here thinking about it that I don't remember what I've seen him in. This is why I love IMDb. Oh, he was in Stripes as Cruiser. I, they, now that I think about it, they mentioned that on Joe Bob. Oh, he was in Stargate. So he's been in some things. He does a really good job being the uh, serial killer. And doesn't say a word. Well, okay, I think he says two words at the end, not to spoil anything. It's a pretty good movie. Dick Sean is the best part about it. I mean, of course, Rory Calhoun is wonderful as well and, and, and extremely likable and fun. They do a good job of showing that she has this kind of unconventional family because Dick Sean is a transgender. And, of course, there's always some PC things coming from, you know, like it being from 1983 and the way things are compared to now. But he's lovable and fun. And and it is it is nice to see them taking this girl under their wings and she's living this lifestyle that's dangerous. And then, of course, you have a serial killer out there killing sex workers. The interesting thing is the girl's supposed to be, I think, 15 in the movie. But the woman playing her is 24. I think she's pretty convincing. I don't know that I think that she looks 14 or 15, but she does look pretty damn young. The The other thing is they never actually show her hooking up with men. So you don't have to feel icky like seeing a four, someone who's supposedly 14 fucking someone who's, you know, like 30 or 40 or what the fuck ever. So they never actually see her doing stuff, which I think helps you. It maintains her innocence, if you know what I mean, even though she's not obviously in an innocent there is still an element of innocence to her even though she's doing these things and that helps you when you don't see her in that capacity I think that that helps you balance it and still keep her kind of pure in your mind if you understand what I'm saying so they they really try to to show that she's just in a bad situation forced to to do something but she's still sweet and she's still it's the hooker with a heart of gold <laughs> you know uh, but it is an interesting premise that she's this young girl and on her own with this unconventional quote-unquote family around her and they're trying to find this serial killer. It was pretty good. And of course, you know, Joe Bob makes everything better. Then it was fun because he starts talking about serial killers, Joe Bob. And I was excited because obviously, hello, definitely check it out. Halloween, Joe Bob, Halloween Hoot Nanny. The second movie, just to tell you real fast, is Terror Train. It's from 1980, rated R, one hour and 37 minutes. Three years after a prank went terribly awry, the six college students responsible are targeted by a masked killer at a New Year's Eve party aboard a moving train. The director was calling it, he pitched it as Halloween on a train. Like Halloween the movie, and you'll see why. And the fun part is Jamie Lee Curtis is actually in it. So you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, David Copperfield. <laughs> He's actually in the movie. And there's other people. I don't know if I recognize some of them or not. But, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis, obviously, is a big one. It's one of those things where I watched this movie probably a year or two or so ago. And I don't remember. I probably watched the whole thing. But I just remember the very beginning really, like, grossed me out and disturbed me. <laughs> Which, I, I don't know. It's weird how some things you can watch, the gory things, and you can watch some things. And it's like, well, whatever. 
But then there's other certain things where it just weirds you out enough that, I don't know, there's something psychological there, I'm sure, that I had trouble. Like, I actually went to rewatch it, not, I think, like, last week I went to rewatch it. But then when I, as soon as I started playing it, I remembered that scene. And I was like, okay, I don't think I can, I don't think I want to do this one again. So it was funny that, of course, Joe Bob plays it. And I did watch it again. And, and the beginning scene, it was still troubling to me. But it was, I was able to make it through because, again, Joe Bob makes everything better. And it was, and I, I don't think I, I must, I didn't remember the David Copperfield stuff. So either I blocked it out because the intro bothered me so much, but um, he was magically wiped from my mind or I hadn't finished watching the movie like I thought I did, but he's, uh, he's in it. So it's just, it's kind of weird. I would say, of course, watch it with Joe Bob and, and he'll get you through it. So that is uh, Joe Bob's Halloween Hootenanny. You can, of course, watch that on Shudder. Speaking of Joe Bob, a movie that is about someone going around killing people, a movie that I hadn't watched before. It was, again, I'm scrolling through things. It was probably on Shudder, I imagine. And I saw Maniac Cop. And it's one of those things where I think over the years I've kind of seen the title and I know Bruce Campbell was in it and I just had never gotten around to watching it or whatever. Maniac Cop, I watched it and I was like, oh my God, this is so much fun. And, you know, Bruce Campbell. And you know me, OCD, there are two sequels. So, of course, I had to watch the sequels. The sequels aren't quite as good, but it's still it's still fun. It's a fun ride. The first one's the best. So it was exciting when Joe Bob actually covered Maniac Cop in one of his drive-in things. Maniac Cop, let me, uh, let me tell you about it just real fast. 1988, rated R, an hour and 25 minutes. A killer dressed in a police uniform begins murdering innocent people on the streets of New York City. It's actually uh, Larry Cohen was a writer, which if you recognize the name, I believe that he did like, um, what is it, Quetzalcoatl? Q, the Winged Serpent. Q, the Winged Serpent is, a, is the one that I think of immediately. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but he's done a bunch of stuff. So that's another exciting part of it. You've got Tom Atkins, Bruce Campbell, Richard Roundtree, Robert Zadar. And if you don't know who that is, he's got, like, the biggest fucking, like, face and chin. And it's, I mean, he's he's on a lot of Rift Tracks things and MSD3K. But he's definitely somebody that stands out. And he's uh, he's always a lot of fun in what he does, even if what he does is is the shit movies. He makes it, he definitely adds something to it. I believe he he's actually um the maniac cop. So anyway, it's just a fun thing and... Watch it. I mean, even if you watch it without Joe Bob, it's great. But watch it with Joe Bob if you can. Because, again, Joe Bob makes everything better. You can apparently watch the just the movie on AMC+, Plus, which makes sense because Shudder Shutter is also part of AMC+. Plus. Or you can watch the Joe Bob on Shudder. And I say, do it and do it with Joe Bob. This year was a special treat because not only did we have the Joe Bob Halloween Hootenanny, we had Elvira's 40th anniversary very scary, very special, special. I cannot get over how fucking fantastic this woman looks. Her skin is like, I just don't even know. Like, she's not human. I, <laughs> I don't know how to describe how she can be the age that she is and look so fucking good. She's got the same fun, flirty, kind of dingy, but smart character. You know, it's a... Uh, She's got her Elvira quirk, and so that definitely hasn't changed. Just like her skin and her body hasn't changed in, like, 50 fucking years. Well, 40 years, obviously, because it's her 40th anniversary. It is fun. It's goofy. The movies that they covered, there were four of them. 
So there's Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, big surprise, which is from 1988, PG-13, one hour and 36 minutes. Upon arriving in a small town where she has inherited a rundown mansion, a famous horror hostess battles an evil uncle and townspeople who want her burned at the stake. Of course, it's got Cassandra Peterson as Elvira. I don't know. And then there's a bunch of other people. She's the main one that's... She's the main one to tune in for, but there's a, a fun other cast. Um, it's like anything Elvira is... You're not, you, you can't take it too seriously. It's just very, like, tongue-in-cheek, goofy, and fun. It's just fun. So, of course, she had that one on there. Then there was The House on Haunted Hill from 1959, not rated, one hour and 15 minutes. A millionaire offers $10,000 to five people who agree to be locked in a large, spooky, rented house overnight with him and his wife. I am sure that you guys are all familiar with House on Haunted Hill. If you're not, fucking get in the know. I mean... This is one, like, you have to, you have to watch House on Haunted Hill. It's just, it's a prerequisite. If you're not into horror, I don't give a shit. Watch the movie. It's, you just have to see it. Everybody needs to know it. It's fucking everywhere. There's no excuse for not having seen it now. It's on, I don't even know how many because there must be, it must be in the public domain or something because every fucking horror host has covered it. And I don't even care what horror host you watch it with. Although, of course, we all know, like, I prefer riff tracks. You should definitely watch your riff tracks. And Baron Von Porkchop, I just, uh... Got a copy of Baron Von Porkchop doing House on Haunted Hill. If you don't know Baron Von Porkchop, go to GameSwap and ask him about it because he works there. Although not in his costume. Although, you never know. Sometimes he might show up to work in that. Especially with since it's Halloween. So, House on Haunted Hill, Vincent Price. It's a William Castle movie. And William Castle, it's, it's one of those things where when I was a kid, I remember seeing 13 Ghosts. And it, like, fucked me. So I remember being like so weirded out and just intrigued and in love with it to the point where it's almost like I hate to say fetishized it in my mind, but it's always been in the back of my mind through all these years. Every once in a while it'll pop in my brain like, God, I remember 13 ghosts and I finally was like, I need to look this movie up. And I found it in a collection, a William Castle collection for a really good price. I can't remember where. So to know that it's a William Castle movie, it's not a surprise that it's it's fun and it's it's a good movie. It has its flaws. You definitely have to uh, suspend your detective skills and um, observation skills, <laughs> but it is still a fun movie. You know, it's Vincent Price, Carol Omart, Richard Long, Alan Marshall, Elisha Cook Jr. He's definitely someone that you would uh, remember. We He's actually makes an appearance in one of the um, Elvira movies in, later on in the uh, evening, which I'll tell you about that here. House on Hotel. It's just fun and... Watch it. It's apparently also on free on IMDb if you just want to watch the movie. Of course, I recommend watch it with Elvira. Watch it with Rift Tracks. Do both. Whatever. Then she does The City of the Dead, which is from 1960, PG-13, one hour and 16 minutes. A young college student arrives in a sleepy Massachusetts town to research witchcraft. During her stay at an eerie inn, she discovers a startling secret about the town and its inhabitants. And it has Christopher motherfucking Lee. So that's a reason right there to watch it. It's got Patricia Jessel, Patricia Jessel and then other people that I, I don't really know who they are. But they're good. The thing about this movie is this is one of those movies that I just happened upon while scrolling through and finding things to watch. I really liked it. And I think it's solid. I think it's spooky. 
they do a good job on all the um, the props and the cinematography and all that. It's very dramatic. And fucking Christopher Lee. He's just iconic for a reason. He's amazing. So I liked the movie in the first place. Well, then Rift Tracks did it. And, of course, it's become one of my favorite Rift Tracks to watch because it's a combination of I really like the movie and then I really like the Rift Tracks commentary. I have seen it. I don't even know how many times. There is also a quote for uh, Rob Zombie uh, takes a line or two from it for one of his songs. I think it might be American Witch, uh, where he says, like, um, superstition, witchcraft, and fuck, now I can't think of the, the quote. But there's stuff. And the, the I think even, like, the witch screaming no-no is from this movie. So I always get excited when I hear Rob Zombie music clips. And it's funny because whenever Todd and I are together, we just look at each other when we hear it. And <laughs> we just look at each other like, oh, my God, that's Rob, that's Rob Zombie. Of course, I was excited when I saw the lineup and I saw that it had House on Haunted Hill and City of the Dead, which are two of my favorite Rift Tracks movies to watch. So it was a nice, it was a pleasant surprise to see that I get to see Elvira's take on it and see what Elvira says about it. City of the Dead's another movie you just need to fucking watch. Just do it. Just put it on your list. Just watch this whole Elvira special. Do yourself a favor. And then go back and watch the Rift Tracks versions of the movies that are riffed on it. The last movie of her special was Messiah of Evil. From 1973, rated R, an hour and 30 minutes. A young woman goes searching for her missing artist father. Her journey takes her to a strange Californian seaside town governed by a mysterious undead cult. This is one where the movie poster always caught my eye when I was scrolling, but for some reason I was just never in the mood to watch it. So I was kind of glad that it was part of this special because I finally got to watch it and watch it with Elvira. It's, it has some elements to me, um, I didn't recognize any of the actors, so I'm not going to mention any actors, because I don't really know. And I don't know that you'll fucking know. Except for, actually, no. You know what? I say that, and then I'm looking at who's in this movie, and I do want to mention, Royal Dano is in it, a little bit. And he's the guy that I know him, <laughs> the first thing I think of is Killer Clowns. He's the dude who has a dog that gets taken by the Killer Clowns. And then Elisha Cook Jr., who is from House on Haunted Hill. He makes an appearance in, in it as well. So they're the two that I recognize. The other people I don't really know. But it it has a kind of an Italian horror feel to it almost. And it's kind of, it does feel a little slow, but the cinematography is really good and the use of color, they it's all like muted. And then there are scenes with where the use of blue and it really gives it like kind of this nightmarish uh, dreamlike quality. There is a scene, and I don't want to, I don't know, I hate to give anything away, but you, you just need to watch it because there's this, um, there are certain scenes that kind of stand out, but there's one where this woman's sitting in the movie theater and she's by herself, and she's, she's sitting up towards the front of the theater. Well, then one by one, you see, and I'm just going to give this part away, sorry. It's uh, basically zombies come in, and they all just start sitting down behind her, like one by one. So they'll, you know, cut to the part of the movie, and they'll cut back to there, and there's like, few more sitting behind her until she's like the whole back you know the whole back of the theater is covered with these zombies and she's just sitting there and the lighting is just really good like I said there's like this blue lighting and they look like spectral and they look spooky and zombie like and she's but she looks like a normal human color as soon as I saw the first zombie come in I was like oh my god please tell me they're gonna fill the theater with zombies because that's just an amazing thought I don't know it's just an amazing thing to see and that's exactly what happened and so I think the movie was worth it just to watch for that one scene so it's not like the best movie but I I did find some merit to it so make sure that you watch Elvira's 40th anniversary very scary very special special and that is on 
I believe that is on Shudder as well. I just have two more sections to cover, and then we will be done with the Hello Queen episode of 2021. Next, I want to talk about some serial killer TV shows. And there are a lot. So again, I wanted to just pick some specific ones that were on my mind and and go into that, which was really hard for my OCD. And I'm not even joking when I say that. And when I, I, I don't want to sound glib or flippant about it. I genuinely have... OCD issues. And uh, we won't get into all that. But uh, it genuinely was really hard for me to just say I'm going to cover these few movies or TV shows and just leave it at that. But uh, you know, but that just means I'll have more to cover later, right? So we'll have episodes till the end of time. Serial killer. So you know, if you've been paying attention that I started to cover Dexter as its own thing. Two part episode. Part two will be coming out next Monday. So we know that we all know Dexter, the serial killer, so I'm already talking about that. So I won't include him in this. I did want to mention True Detective Season 1 because that is something that I just happened upon. And then and then once it was, I think that maybe I'd seen people kind of mention it here and there, but I just happened upon it. It's, um, now I'm flipping over to Wikipedia because they, um, when you have series of things, IMDb is not as quite as uh, in-depth or whatever. But basically, it's a... An American anthology crime drama television series premiered in 2014 on HBO. It had Matthew McConaughey, Woody Harrelson, Michelle Monaghan, Michael Potts, and Tori Kittles. There were eight episodes. There are several seasons, but each season is self-contained. So Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey don't come back for the second season, which was a little disappointing because they were really, it was really good and really fun to watch them together. So it's basically quoting from Wikipedia... Constructed as a non-linear narrative, season one focuses on Louisiana State Police homicide detectives Rustin Rust Cole, Matthew McConaughey, and Martin Marty Hart, Harrelson, who investigated the murder of prostitute Dora Lang in 1995. Seventeen years later, they must revisit the investigation along with several other unsolved crimes. During this time, Hart's infidelity threatens his marriage and Cole struggles to cope with his troubled past. That kind of gives you an idea of what it's about. So the 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 way that the serial killer kills and the, the things that he does, it is captivating. And the the differences in personalities between Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson's characters, it definitely adds to the tension and the intrigue of the show. Matthew McConaughey's character is fucking dark. <laughs> and there are moments when I'm like, oh my God, like Jesus. Like, ah, uh, it's a lot. But... You know, because Woody's more positive, his character, and then Matthew McConaughey's character is obviously very negative. But they have, it's just, it's really well done. And I highly recommend, if you haven't seen it, to watch the first season of True Detective. I have been meaning to go back and watch, to go and watch the other seasons. But the first one, definitely watch it. They do a phenomenal job on it. It is, shit, I don't even know what it's on. As of April 2nd, 2021... According to TechRadar.com, True Detective is available on HBO streaming. Okay, so there you go. Apparently it's on, which makes sense if it was an HBO show. Hello. <laughs> but you never know. Maybe it's going to be on something else. Okay, so True Detective on HBO. There's only one other serial killer series that I want to talk about at this point, And that is Slasher. So I believe that I watched Slasher on Netflix. Yes, I did, because Wikipedia says it right here. Slusher is a Canadian-American anthology horror television series. It premiered on Chiller 
in 2016 and Super Channel in 2016. The licensing rights for the second season were acquired by Netflix in 2017 when it was released. The series was renewed for the third season in 2019 and then they just came out with season four on Shudder in 2021. This is one of those things where I saw Slasher and then you see this um, imposing figure on the promo art or whatever. So, of course, I was like, I want to watch that. So I gave it a shot. And it's one of those things where it's not like, <laughs> what I like to say is it's not phenomenal, but it's fun. And sometimes that's just what you need. I've seen all four series seasons. I think the first one is the best season, but it's always fun. So the first season, and this is, again, it's kind of like True Detective, or it's Honestly, I guess you could say it's like the Canadian American Horror Story because they have some of the same actors that come that become different people in the different seasons. It's not unusual to see some of the people are actually in all four se seasons. That's always a fun thing to see an actor go to different roles and see how they are in those different roles. Each season is centered on a masked killer with an unknown motive for killing their victims. So the first season, which originally came out of Slasher, Later, when they made more seasons, it's called The Executioner. It's centered on a mysterious figure billed as The Executioner, who terrorizes a fictional town of Waterbury, Canada. And in that one, they all have a uh, religious bent to the killings. So it's almost like kind of a seven vibe. And they're good at like, okay, who's the red herring? And, you know, you're who you're suspecting and interesting kills and things like that. They have a little synopsis here. Sarah Bennett and her husband Dylan move back to the town of her birth, fictitious Waterbury, Canada, into her childhood home where both of her parents were murdered on the Halloween of 1988. Her mother was pregnant with Sarah at the time of the killing before the police arrest the killer who was holding the newborn baby. Sarah's return to Waterbury is greeted with the start of a series of copycat murders, all appearing to be at the hands of the executioner. So you have the kind of uh, the homecoming where really bad things had happened. And so she's not only facing all of the emotional things of being at the home where her parents were killed, the parents that she never got to know, and all those feelings. And, and then finding out things about her parents that she never wanted to know. And then people start to get killed and it looks like she might be being targeted. So I think that season, I, yeah, I think that season's really good. Season two is called Guilty Party in the Dead of Winter. A group of former summer camp counselors returned to the resort where they participated in the murder of Talavander Gill, then hid her body. The body has vanished from its secret hiding spot. They are then trapped in the resort and, one by one, killed by a murderer in a parka. Then there is season three, Solstice. Kit Jennings, a sex and drug addict, is murdered by someone using a druid costume in front of an apartment complex during the summer solstice, and the neighbors didn't help him. Exactly one year later, a person using the same costume emerges and starts murdering every person who carries any kind of complicity in Jennings' murder. And then season four, Flesh and Blood. Slasher Flesh and Blood follows a wealthy but dysfunctional family gathering for a reunion on a secluded island. Their old wounds and competitive rivalries flare up when the family realizes a masked killer is on the island, intent on cruelly picking them off one by one. Again, it's one of those things where sometimes the writing and the acting isn't great with some of the people, but it's always entertaining. It's always interesting to see how they develop things and how things pan out. And, you know, if you just you just let go and have fun. So Flesh and Blood, I just happened upon this uh, this like this past week. I saw Slasher on shit. Now I can't think of uh, on Hulu or something or Netflix. It's probably Netflix. I think I saw it on Netflix. I don't know. So I saw maybe it was Prime. <laughs> So I think I saw it on Amazon Prime and it 
when I saw Slasher, I was like, fuck, for some, it's one of those things where every once in a while I forget about it because it doesn't, like, where I'm not constantly seeing it pop up. Like, you see other series that pop up in your searches, but this one you don't see because it's Canadian and it seems like it's one of those things where you just can't find it everywhere. So when I saw Slasher Flesh and Blood, I was like, shit, it's that series that I like that I never get to see. Of course I watched it. So I literally, like, just finished it, I think probably a couple days ago. I like them enough where I feel like every so often I would want to rewatch this series. And the problem is because it's it's not an American product, they it is hard to find. Season 1 you can find at like at like Walmart and Target, but seasons 2 through 4, they're just not really anywhere on their own. But I did find where you get the whole series. The problem is is you have to worry about region codes. So since it's not an American thing, it doesn't just play in all American players. You have to make sure that you're finding one that is coded right, that you can play in your player. And some of those are not. And so I was kind of pissed because I kind of want them. Now, I want them. And when I want something, of course, obsessive compulsive, it drives me crazy if I can't have it. (laughs) So I did find one that's being sold in Germany. It doesn't have, it has German cover, but it says that it is English that everything's in English. So I'm hoping, I'm praying that they said it right, that they are correct and not lying to me. I just ordered it this morning. So hopefully that will come to me and I'll be happy and I'll be able to play it in my player. So that might be more difficult to find. Flesh and Blood, like I said, it's playing right now on Prime. You can buy season one at Walmart or Target. The other two, I don't know, but maybe, maybe we can, uh, maybe we can have a little party when this COVID thing is blown over a little bit more. We can get together and we can, we can watch it together. Speaking of TV shows that are hard to find, I discovered Psychoville on some streaming service and just fell in love with it. It's British. Psychoville is a British psychological horror thriller black comedy mystery television series. A psychological horror thriller black comedy mystery. I just wanted to repeat that because it is all those things, but it's funny to see that long of a description. Created and written by and starring the League of Gentlemen members Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton for the BBC. It debuted in 2009. Pemberton and Shearsmith each play numerous characters with Don French, Jason Tompkins, Daniel Kaluuya, Eileen Atkins in additional starring roles. The first series was followed by a Halloween special broadcast in October 31st, 2010. The second series was broadcast in 2011 and they officially announced that there would not be a third series. Psychoville is just fun. <laughs> I love Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton are just fucking amazing. And it's one of those things where I found it and I watched it and I loved it. And then I went to buy it. But since it's British, I ran into the fucking non-region thing. I actually found it at like um the second time around, I believe is what's called. Unfortunately, I don't think it's around anymore. But... I found a copy there and I was like, oh my God, holy shit, I found Psychoville. Came home, put it in my player, wouldn't play. So fucking pissed. Do you know what it's like to get something that you're so excited about and not be able to watch it? It's like the worst fucking thing. I managed to find a copy that had both seasons because I think that was just season one that I found. So I found a copy that thought it would play, but it turns out it wouldn't play in like PlayStation 2 or something. But then we upgraded to PlayStation 3. And it actually plays on there. So it was amazing that I'm able to watch Psychoville now. Again, if you have trouble finding it, we'll just have a party. We'll have a series of parties where we just watch these series together. 
The series revolves around five different characters from different parts of England. David Sourbutts, a serial killer-obsessed man-child who still lives with his mother, Maureen. Mr. Jelly, an embittered, one-handed children's entertainer. Oscar Lomax, a blind millionaire who collects stuffed toy animals. Joy Aston, a midwife who treats a practice doll as if it's her real child. And Robert Greenspan, a panto dwarf in love with his Snow White who believes he has the power of telekinesis. All five are connected by a mysterious blackmailer who has sent them a letter each with a message, I know what you did. So you've got these five different characters and they they take turns going into each character's life and seeing, you know, what, what's going on in their life, how the blackmailer is, re, you know, uh, interacting with them and their reactions to it. <laughs> this is another thing where when I first watched it, I wasn't into the serial killer thing as much. So him and his mom which is uh, Pemberton and Shearsmith, they will, like, recite serial killer facts, and it's, like, their little thing. There's a whole serial killer, like, is he a serial killer? You know, there's the inappropriate relationship a- aspect of it that is definitely a serial killer thing. Um, so it was fun. I went back and watched it after I knew a little bit more about serial killers, and they do mention some that I still just know, like, peripherally. There are moments where it's just so much fun, and I just laugh so fucking hard. So they're just amazing. Uh, Mr. Jelly. Oh, my God. He is a clown who has one hand. So to see him at kids' parties with his hook hand and he has a bag of other, like, devices that he can put on to do this children's, it's Mr. Jelly. I mean, oh, my God. He's amazing. And then there's also a guy named Mr. Jolly who's a clown and they keep getting confused for each other and they're, like, rivals. And the blind millionaire who collects Beanie Babies the guy from Get Out is actually the assistant for the blind guy. So that's uh, that was fun because the first time I watched it, Get Out hadn't come out yet. So then when I rewatched it and I recognized him, I was like, holy shit, that's exciting. And it's funny to see that this <laughs> millionaire is all about Beanie Babies. And there's a whole thing where they're trying to find this obscure Beanie Baby and stuff. Uh, then there's the midwife who, who thinks this uh, baby doll is a real child. And her husband, her long-suffering husband... <laughs> And then, um, so that that's a whole other thing there that's they get into. I'm not sure what a panto dwarf is, so I I don't know. That feels like oh, a pantomime. <laughs> okay, he's a pantomime. I think little person is probably the best thing. Uh, but I, I guess right here they call him a dwarf because he was in the production of Snow White and Seven Dwarfs in the show, and he's one of the seven dwarves. So you know. There's a subplot of he's in love with the tall, blonde, main Snow White character, and she's constantly rebuking him and making fun of him, you know, and so you have the, um, you have his constant shunning while he's in love with her, and then there's another woman that loves him, and so you have, like, a love triangle type thing, and so it's just fun and interesting to see how each of the characters play out and then try to figure, find out how they are all interconnected. It goes to a crazy place in the second season, but it is always fun. It's always an adventure, and I just cannot speak highly enough about it. It is so much fun, and I mean, all of the actors and actresses in it, they're all really good. But Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton amaze me. They just blow my mind, and they are just phenomenal talents. Speaking of, I happened to be flipping through, and I saw their pretty little faces... And was like, what the fuck is that? It is called Inside Number 9. And as soon as I saw them, of course we all know I had to watch it. 
It is a British black comedy anthology television program that first aired in 2014. It is written by Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton and produced by the BBC. Each 30-minute episode is a self-contained story with new characters and a new setting, and all-star Pemberton or Shearsmith, usually both. Aside from the writers, each episode has a new cast, allowing Inside Number 9 to attract a number of well-known actors. The stories are only linked by the number 9 in some way. Oh, apparently there's a brass hair statue that's in the background of all episodes. I did not notice that, but now I know to pay attention. They took inspiration for Inside Number 9 from an episode of Psychoville, which was filmed in a single room. This episode was, in turn, inspired by Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. Basically, it's... Uh, it starts, there's some kind of, something going on, and there's usually comedic aspects, and then there's some kind of twist. And I will tell you, the production's really good. They're just, I just can't say how much I love them. You don't even know. They, I will dare say that there's one episode, I think it's a second episode in the series, where it's basically silent. Like, they don't really talk. It's, it has music and things, and there are sound effects and, you know, some things here and there. But their physical comedy and their interactions with each other, it's, I would dare say it's on par with Laurel and Hardy. And I know that's a bold statement, but I love me some Laurel and Hardy. And I, it just feels like they have that same kind of rapport and comedic brilliance. I'm putting it out there. Reese Searsmith and Steve Pember- Pemberton, fucking geniuses. And the writing is so good. It's hard to believe that you can be twisted around like they do. And I think this, in this, I feel like this era, we are so sophisticated, it's hard to be surprised anymore or to be, to not do a stupid fucking lame twist like in Game of Thrones season eight. So to actually have legitimate twists is just, it's brilliant. And Inside Number Nine, I just, I started rewatching it the other day. And it's phenomenal. And the costumes, everything is just amazing about it. So check out Inside Number Nine. It's on Hulu. Apparently, you can watch it on Amazon Prime, YouTube. So, but Hulu, I'm sure everybody has Hulu that listens. I don't know. If you don't, just get it because Hulu has a bunch of shit on it. Definitely check out Inside Number Nine. And anytime you see the names, Reese Searsmith and Steve Pemberton, check it out. I know that I do. So, the last thing I want to talk about is a series that I happened upon. I was uh, trying to get motivated to do the dishes. Although, in all fairness, it's difficult for me to get motivated to do just about anything lately. (laughs) So (laughs) I thought, okay, if I put on a movie that is interesting, that'll help get me through washing the dishes. I can watch this movie while I'm washing the dishes. I went to Netflix and I saw just like popular things. And it had that little red box top 10. And it said Midnight Mass. I didn't pay close enough attention. I just saw Midnight Mass. And it was something about an isolated community and supernatural events and a mysterious priest. So I was like, you know what? This sounds pretty cool. I thought it was a movie. So I just put it on. And I was like 40 minutes in. I was like, oh, they're really setting some things up. Like they're really building it up here. I wonder what's going to happen at the end. And then it, there are credits and it's like, oh, there's episode two is about to start. And I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> this is a series, which is OK, because that meant I wasn't finished doing the dishes yet. So I could keep watching. And it, it's always exciting when you catch a new series that you get caught up in. It is an American supernatural horror streaming television miniseries. The plot centers on an isolated island community that experiences supernatural events after the arrival of a mysterious priest. 
It is from 2021, and it has um, Kate Siegel, Zach Guilford, Kristen Lehman, Samantha Sloyan, Raul Colley? Coley? There's people. I didn't really recognize many people. I did recognize Hamish Linklater, who is plays the priest that comes into town. He's one of those guys that's familiar to me, but I don't always remember what specifically I've seen him in. There is, uh, where the fuck is his name? The dad in it is another guy that I always recognize him. Well, I recognize what he's from, but I never remember his name. It's, okay, it's uh, Henry Thomas. So I know him, well, he was a kid in E.T., but I know him mostly from Gangs of New York. But it's weird to see him in, like, a dad role where he looks like he's in his 60s. But he's really good. And actually, everybody, the acting's good in it. And it is definitely, it's intriguing me in ways that I totally didn't expect. Again, I went into this thinking, well, you know, Midnight Mass. There's some kind of supernatural, like, religious-y spookiness that's going to happen. I did not expect, which seems silly now that I'm saying it, I didn't expect so much religion. <laughs> I mean, I know, like, when you have any kind of, um, well, like, exorcist, demon-driven movies it's that has religious aspects, of course there's religion in it. But the thing about this is they have, like, deep dives, all different aspects of religions, lots of religious talk. It centers on this dude gets into a drunk diving accident and the woman dies. He ends up going to prison. And when he gets out of prison, he goes back to his hometown, which is an island community. And it's a, like an, there, there was an oil spill. So they've had devastating times and things are really hard. So there's not as many people on the island. It's fallen on hard times. So you have the thing where he's coming home and he's obviously, he's very conflicted and upset because, you know, he's a murderer and it was an accidental thing, but you know, so he has all the weight of that and tr trying to come to terms with that and like, how can he go on with his life? What is he going to do? Then you have the religious aspect of his parents are very, they're Catholic, they're very de devout and he doesn't want to go to church because he's basically doesn't feel God anymore and he doesn't know that God's a thing. But his parents want him to go to church anyway. And and then he starts reconnecting with people or, you know, trying to find his place among things now. In the meantime, you have um, like things like a bunch of dead cats wash up on the beach. So like, what the fuck? And some weird things start happening. This priest shows up in town and I don't want to give too much away, but then weird shit starts happening. And what I like is <laughs> well, I'll, t I'll just throw this out there real fast. Because it's, it's, I think what's intriguing is it shows all different perspectives on religion and different re religions. And the way that you take it is obviously based on your experience. So from my perspective, I was raised Methodist. My dad was a Methodist minister and I don't go to church anymore. So I'm just not interested in that. So what is so striking for me is at the first episode, they kept showing like church services and you know he's preaching and there's a part of me like, I don't go to church for a reason. Why do I want to watch a church service? But they're building and you really, if you don't have an open mind, then you probably don't want to watch this. But I would say it, it gets a little uncomfortable because it, things that are said, you're like, oh God, you know, like, oh, that person's so frustrating because they believe that way. But then you start seeing, I don't know, it, it's really interesting that it, it, it shows you how this is why they think this way. And 
the good things and bad things about both. And it, it's really eye-opening and it it shows you that you can feel something to your core and be stubborn about it, but that doesn't make it right. And if you're not open, then you may shut out people around you, including your loved ones. And how even as open-minded as you're trying to be, you can still be shut off. It really made, made me question some things about the way that I think and the way that I react. But some of the characters, some of what they say, it's eerie. It's like that, those words almost exactly have come out of my mouth. I admit, it, it hits you in all the feels. And there are some big things that happen that are really heavy. But to me, it's intriguing enough and it's interesting enough because it, it, to balance the, the heavy religious discussions and, you know, moral aspects of things is then you have the supernatural thing happening. And then you're trying to figure out where are they going with this? Are they going where I think they're going? And how is this going to balance? And it's done and it's just done so like delicately. And they don't always just come right out and say things. It's, they, ah, they're really subtle. And I've only watched like three episodes. But it's to the point where I keep telling Todd about the episodes. Because we like to talk about religion and, and explore ideas. And we've decided, just talking about it, he's like, I think I want to watch this. So I said, you know what? I'm going to stop watching right now. We're going to start over. I will start over and watch it with you. And it's one of those things where things, I may catch on to things in episode one that I know something that happens in episode four that it may you know you may see that in a different light and and just reflecting and I suspect we're going to do a lot of pausing (laughs) because you know you pause and you want to talk about it and go through things so so Midnight Mass I'm really enjoying I'm intrigued to see where they go with it I can see why it's in the top 10 and I highly recommend it again if you're in a bad emotional place maybe don't watch it but if you're feeling I mean I'm not in the best emotional place, but I'm feeling solid enough that right now that this is actually... And and in a way, it's been kind of therapeutic. There's been a moment where the minister, the priest, is an Ash Wednesday episode. And if you if people don't know, it's basically like um, they take... Um, my dad used to burn the um, palm branches from Palm Sunday and make it to an ash. And then you make a cross on the forehead as a reminder of the sacrifice and, and that you're special and Jesus died for you. And more people showed up at the service on Ash Wednesday. And he's like, why do you just show up on Ash Wednesday? And immediately, that's one thing I don't like about church is that people make you feel attacked. Like, hey, maybe I'd come more if you didn't remind me that when I don't come and make me feel guilty for not being just like you. But he takes it and he goes and makes it about like not making you feel guilty about reminding you like, hey, if you got something out of this tonight, then maybe you can get something out of it next Sunday. Maybe you can get something out of it the Sunday after that. You know, maybe maybe you can keep getting something. And, and, and so he made it positive. And it really hit me because that's how my dad was as a minister, is he always focused on the positive and not about feeling guilty and the darkness and, and the despair, you know, that you should feel if you're disconnected from Jesus. It's, it's all about the positive. Like, this is, this is why you should be. You should feel good about it. You shouldn't. He never believed that you should bring people to, to God and Jesus by making them feel like scared not to, you know. Um, So anyway, that was, so I've had some emotional moments where I've really connected with some things happening or there's just a lot. So it is very emotional, but it's very cathartic. So it's the kind of thing where there's some things that I don't want to watch because it's emotional because it's just makes me feel like shit and then I don't want to deal with it. But this, I feel like it, it brings up enough cerebral things for me that it balances the emotional things, if that makes sense. So Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass on Netflix. 
Check it out. It's a mini series, so apparently there's only six episodes. So I was apparently most of the way through it and didn't realize it. So that's all I'm going to talk about for this one. We went, we did the uh, Hello Queen episode for 2021. And again, next week I'll be talking about the second part of Dexter, which is um, the seasons five through eight and books five through eight. And then it'll probably be a little bit longer because then, of course, I want to talk about everything one through eight, the book and the series and just overall thoughts and going into the new series season of Dexter. There's a lot to discuss. So make sure you stay tuned to that. Igor will be back towards the end of the month. We will do one together where, like I said, we'll probably talk about serial killer movies, like based on real serial killers and and other kinds of fun stuff. You never know. Thank you again for tuning in and make sure you keep an eye out on things on the uh, website and Facebook and, and all that. I will have more fun, exciting things coming up as the year goes on, including that Candles by Can- Comics by Candlelight on YouTube. Um, I will keep you up to date on that as well. As always, thank you for entering the lab. If you enjoy the experience and experiments of Murder Lab, go to Facebook, Instagram, and MurderLabMedia.com for updates. Share with your friends, those you created in a lab or not, as long as they can subscribe and listen, we'll take it. Murder Lab is available on Google Play and iTunes. The RSS feed is on MurderLabMedia.com for you to plug into your podcast app. We can always use more lab rats. superstition, witchcraft, and fuck, now I can't think of the, the quote.